Good morning, everyone. It is an honor to be here this morning and spend some time together. I want to start the morning's conversation with a short challenge. I'm going to show a series of pictures. I've got 12 pictures. I'm only going to show each one for about five seconds. So what I want you to do is when the picture comes up, just pay attention to your initial reaction. What's the feeling you have? You might even be able to put a word on it. Immediately when you see this picture, this is my knee-jerk reaction. Okay, here we go, 12 pictures, really quick, check this out. Okay, so I don't know the reaction that you had to the pictures, but I would be willing to bet that there were many pictures that the reaction that you had, what you felt, was very different than both people sitting on either side of you. And I want to explain maybe with an example. I had a situation this past summer where a friend of mine came to me and he said that he had an experience that kind of haunted him because he was at the park with his kids and he was setting out a bit of a picnic and all of a sudden he turned and there was a gentleman close to him that looked as though he probably was homeless and he said something to my friend about the fact that he had a nice family but my friend said my, 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 my immediate response was to put my hand on the man's shoulder and say, get out of here. And he came to me saying, I've been thinking about that all week because I, I don't know why that was my response. The, the man just gave us a compliment, but it was so extreme and so sudden my response. And in the summer as well, I had another experience at the Glenridge locations in St. Catharines. We have a homeless shelter and our, our shelter community gets together usually every month in the summer for a community barbecue. So we gather volunteers, residents, former residents, and we kind of gather at the same park once a month and have a great time together. And normally, we always meet at one place. Well, this one barbecue had to take place at a different part of the park because it was already booked. Now, where we were, we could see the other barbecue happening, and it was a pretty big group. It looked like a family reunion, probably. Very conservative group. The women were all in skirts and had longer hair, and the men were kind of dressed up. Anyways, as I was having my dinner, I noticed that a friend of mine was walking from the other barbecue to ours. So I was intrigued. I went up to him. And, and again, this is someone who would probably present themselves as a stereotypical homeless person. That might be the first thought that would come to mind to you. Anyways, he said that he thought that that was our barbecue. So he said, I went there and I just kind of looked around. didn't really know anyone, but they immediately just gave me a plate of food. So he said, I had dinner with them, and I'm chuckling, and he says, no, Tim, it's not funny. He says, it goes on from there. He says, after I ate, they asked me to play games with them. So I spent the last half hour playing games with this group until finally I saw our, our, our barbecue was over here. Well, at this point, I'm, I'm laughing at this, and he says, Tim, it's not funny. 
He said, what you don't realize is I can't think of very many situations in my entire life when I've been immediately accepted like that. And it kind of made me stand back and it, it makes me think of the other story because two similar situations, uh, an individual kind of surprising people, someone who looks probably stereotypically homeless, one person's reaction is to say, get out of here. Another person's reaction is to say, hey, here's a plate of food. You, know, you want to play some games with us? And I think those stories and the pictures are, are all linked to the big idea of this morning and even the next three weeks. We have a series um, that's titled, based on a challenge I was given many years ago. You see, I was um, friends and, and I was being mentored by a man named Barry Johnson. And he challenged me one day with the saying, seeing is loving. He would say that if you see someone, if you fully saw someone, anyone, it would be impossible not to love them. Now, he said it was something that was taught by his mentor, Jack Gibb, but he spent a lot of time thinking about this, and he said that, you know, if you see someone and your reaction isn't care, compassion, you know, love for someone, then you're missing something. You're not fully seeing them. And I feel like this is a worthwhile conversation this morning and even for the next few weeks for a few reasons. One is that if you're anything like me, if I'm honest, my reaction isn't always love. When I see pictures, when I see people, when I see you know, folks in town, my, my reaction isn't always one of compassion and care. And this morning, if you're here, there's a pretty good chance that you're here to learn about the teachings of Christ or, or to learn how to be a better follower of Christ or a Christian. And, and what's important to know is that in the Bible repeatedly, God is mentioned or referred to as the God who sees. The, the, the God who sees all and always loves. So in some ways, if you want to do a, a quick reality check on how well are you doing as being a follower of Christ, it would line up to when I see, do I see fully, and do I love? I mean, I go even a step further. It matters for me because, you know, my role here is to hopefully help get our community at all three locations out of their seats and to, to live out their faith practically by serving by being involved in local and global outreach, reaching out to people in need and the margins, people excluded. And my experience has been that when outreach is something that happens because you're pushed into it or you're doing it out of guilt or outreach is just an event that you're scheduling in now and then, it often doesn't have amazing impact and, and often it's very short-lived in your own life. But when outreach is something that is just a natural expression of love. When you see something or someone and you, you care, you have compassion, and you can't help but reach out to that individual, that has the power to change lives. And, and outreach is less something that you do now and then, and it's more just a person that you are. So that's the, the big idea is seeing is loving. If we saw someone fully, it would be impossible not to love them. If any of you can relate to how I would feel, I would, I'd be honest in saying, well, that's not always my story. And I've thought a lot about this. I've prayed about it. I've talked to lots of people about it. I would suggest there's kind of three primary reasons that we wouldn't live out that idea of see, seeing as loving. I think the first reason is we, we don't see people. That we can go through our lives and miss whole parts of society, not even know they exist. I, I couldn't even tell you the amount of people that I've talked to. Now, I've been involved in our homeless shelter at the Glenridge location for a decade. The amount of people that I talk to continually that say, I have lived in Niagara my whole life. I didn't know that we had anyone homeless here. I didn't know that there were those kind of needs. The amount 
of conversations I would have had when we were partnering with the church in Vineland to start up our Southridge location, the amount of conversations I had around, okay, well, I know that we do kind of sheltering and homelessness in St. Catharines, and, and we have our, our, our outreach to kids and, and soul support families, Rose City Kids in Welland. Well, what are we going to do in Vineland? Because there's no need in Vineland. Everything's going well there. And then some of those same individuals talking to me months and, and even years later saying, you know, now that I'm involved in this outreach to Caribbean workers, I just, I don't know how I missed it. I don't know how I missed out on these friendships and these individuals that have been all around me all along. And there's lots of reasons for that. I think one primary reason is that if you're here this morning, there's a pretty good chance that you would be considered a person of privilege. You've been given quite a few opportunities in life, and, and, and it'd be different for each of us, but in some way, in the pursuit of the American dream or the Canadian dream, you're probably doing okay. And there's challenges associated with having privilege. One is that the pursuit of the American dream ultimately can have us landing in beautiful homes that have gated communities that generally are there to keep the outside world out. They're, they're having us go on amazing vacations to all-inclusive, beautiful parts of the world that are incredibly exclusive to the surrounding community. We spend more time with parties and people and social engagement really around people like us. And we start to believe that that is the world. And it blinds us to people. We don't see people even though they're there. Another reason we don't see people is I, I think the, the plague that North Americans face is busyness. We are so busy. I know as, as someone who drives a car, I know, and it's not just because I can get a ticket. I know that if I'm distracted, that's not okay. I know that, you know, I'm going at such a speed that if I'm focusing on my cell phone or kind of messing with the radio, that people could get hurt. And sometimes our lives feel like that. We, we feel like we're going at this pace and we're programmed and scheduled and we have all these responsibilities. And if I, if I stop to look around, I'm just not okay with the outcome of that. I don't have the ability to do that. I could get hurt. You know, sometimes it's not that I'm too busy. It's that I do know that there's people that I'm not seeing, but I'm choosing not to see them. I'm worried about what would happen if I did look that way. An experience not too long ago, a friend of mine, he's a bit of a well-known Niagara individual in the papers all the time, and he was quite intrigued with the local and global outreach that Southridge was participating in. And we sat down and had lunch, and he was specifically interested in getting involved in one of our global exposure trips. So I followed up with him two weeks later. We had coffee, and he said, here's the thing. He says, if I'm totally honest with you, I've been talking a lot about this with my wife, and we've decided it would be a bad idea for me to participate in this trip. So I asked him why that was, and he said, we both know that I'm a person that's all in. I'm an all or nothing person. And I have a pretty good idea. If I get on a plane and go to that part of the world and experience what you've talked about, I'm going to see people that I've never seen before. And I'm going to be involved in situations that I've never had to experience before. And I know me well enough to know that I can never pretend that that didn't happen. And I also know my personality is one that will allow something like that to turn my life upside down. At the end of the day, my wife and I have talked and we're just not willing to take that risk. Heartbreaking conversation. And I've thought about how, how those examples are so completely opposite to the life of Jesus. When Jesus was here, he did everything possible to see everyone around him. 
He, he was a person that probably could have been considered privileged. He was in a middle-class family, had a good profession, but at the end of his life, the most important years, chose to be homeless. In Matthew 8, 20, it says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Chose to kind of fight the privilege he was given. Fought busyness. He fought you know, things that would distract him from seeing people. Like Jesus is someone who probably could have been speaking at seminaries and doing keynote addresses and, and speaking with media. But he fought that so that he could spend more time with the people that mattered, the people that everyone else ignored. The lepers, the possessed, the down and outers. Even one example when Jesus is in an event and there's all these kids around him and the people, you know, the important people at the event are saying, get the kids away from, from Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it. This is why I'm here. Everyone who you want to neglect and ignore is who I'm here to be with. You know, it goes beyond that. Jesus chose to look at people that he knew would break his heart. It says in Matthew 9, 36, that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus chose to look at people that he knew would break his heart. And he knew that it would ultimately cost him everything. It would even cost him his life. But he chose to look. Sometimes we, we don't love because we don't see people. Well, sometimes I think that we see people, but we don't see them fully. We only see part of the person or part of the group of people. I'm going to try to illustrate this right now with a video, so check out the screen. So a great way to illustrate this idea of we don't see fully. This is a, a, a person who made a decision based on something that was true, something he heard was true, but it was incomplete. And obviously, as you saw, the actions end up hurting someone. Well, you know, we do that all the time. It's almost like, I'll show you a picture of an iceberg. Everyone that we encounter, we only see the tip of the iceberg. We only see part of what that person chooses to show. And, and we forget sometimes that there's so much more under the surface. But what we do is we make all of our judgments based on what we see. Studies have shown that humans will make their judgments on someone within one-tenth of a second of seeing them. Within one-tenth of a second, I will decide whether you're good or bad, right or wrong, safe or unsafe, someone that I would want to spend time with or someone that I think I should avoid. One-tenth of a second. And, and it goes on to say that once I have those beliefs on someone, I will then look to things and to people that affirm those beliefs. So if I believe things about you, whether it's good or bad, I'll, I'll read magazine articles that kind of affirm those beliefs around those kind of people. I'll hang around with other people who will kind of affirm, yeah, well, that's true about that person or that group of people, that's true. And, and it allows me to feel that what I see is absolutely true. I'll like things on Facebook and, and support things so that generally I'm affirmed in my beliefs. And what happens is that the tip of the iceberg becomes our reality, and sometimes it's hard for us to look beyond that and see the whole truth. What's, what's interesting is that Jesus was the best example of someone who never did this. Even though the people he interacted with expected that, he always saw people fully. A wonderful example of this is in John 4, 9. It's an example when Jesus is going to a, a well to get some water, and he encounters a woman there. And I'll, I'll read from John 4, 9 now. When a Samaritan woman came to drink water... Jesus saw her, will you give me a drink? 
Well, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Generally, she's saying, listen, you obviously don't know who I am because if you did, you'd never be talking to me. Your people don't talk to my people. But then Jesus astounds her by continuing to have a conversation and, 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 and she realizes you do see me and you care for me. He, he was able through that to not just talk about you know, water that can quench your thirst. He talked about this idea of living water, a new way of life that changes everything about her life. And, and it seemed as though she was loving the conversation to the point that she started to feel like she had to hide elements of who she was. Because in her mind, she thought, if, if Jesus really knows the rest of me, he's going to walk away. There was a, a part of the story where, you know, he had said something about her home situation. And she immediately said, well, you know, I don't have a husband. And listen to Jesus' response. And in John four seventeen, Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you with now, you're with now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. He doesn't say, you know, I got you there. And he doesn't, you know, make that something that divides him. He says, listen, I get it. I, I know who you are. I see everything and I love you. And his openness to look beyond certain small things that could get in the way of him really seeing her allowed the relationship to build and allowed him to have a conversation that changed her whole eternity. I'll say that this is a hard thing to do, especially if the, the tip of the iceberg, if what we see of a person or a group of people is really hard for us to, to get our head around, or if it threatens us or if it threatens other people. There's a great example of this. A friend of mine right now is, is fostering children. She has grown children, so she decided to kind of open her doors and, and continue to support kids. And she's told me about a situation where someone... Um, has proved to be really hard to love based on the, the, the part that she saw. I'll, I'll put it in her words. After supporting a beautiful, innocent child in crisis from severe neglect, abuse, and malnutrition, you can imagine the amount of anger that was building towards the child's mother. I couldn't understand how anyone could allow this to happen to her child. I was respectful to her and to the children around her, but my heart was, my heart was hard towards her. I avoided seeing her as often as I could. Then one day, I received paperwork on the history of the children, which included horrific parts of their mom's story. My eyes and my heart were awakened to a depth of compassion and an acknowledgement that if I had grown up with the same environmental, racial, abusive, economical, and historical barriers in my life, I very likely would be no different. I was confronted with my own judgments and privilege and attitudes within me that would require God's healing touch. My choice to forgive her began that day and continues till this day. God continues to show me himself in this situation as I pray to love without condition as he loves me. I often say I can't do this, yet God is doing something amazing. An overwhelming sense of love and peace is beginning to flow through my body. Meetings that once had me shaking with anger now have me experiencing a calm as I'm able to embrace her in that moment. None of this has been me. It has been purely God. And I have so far to go. I heard a quote a while ago and I, I, it stuck with me. I say it often. It's from Wendy Mass. It says, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Sometimes we don't live out this idea of seeing and loving because we don't see fully. There's one other 
reason that we don't live out seeing is loving, in my opinion. And it's not that we don't see people, and it's not even that we don't see them fully. It's that we, we don't see them clearly. Let me demonstrate right now. So there's a pretty good chance that although you might be able to see me right now, you don't see me as clearly as you did just a moment ago. Things are darker. I might have a facial expression that you missed, or you may, have a, may miss me fiddling with my notes here. It's because it's darker. It's hard to see in the dark. Well, you can turn the lights back on. In the Bible, love and light are words that used interchangeably. Love is light, meaning that when I'm loving someone, I'm seeing them fully illuminated. <coughs> Excuse me. The opposite of love is fear. Now, fear lives itself out very many different ways. It can live itself as anger. It can live itself out as frustration or anxiety or depression. But generally, the opposite of love is fear. And if love is light, fear is darkness. And, and as I have frustrations with someone or anger or negative emotions, all of a sudden, I'm starting to see them more darkly. You know, I know, and as someone who identifies as a Christian, I know that the greatest of all things is love. I know, I've heard the teachings of Jesus that say that, you know, at the end of the day, what matters is loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul and loving your neighbor as yourself. I know that. And yet, when I'm, when I'm put to the test with people that threaten me or that, that result in some of these fearful things, I, you know, when I feel like I'm having to you know, go out against someone that maybe is, is challenging family values or I feel like I'm dealing with someone who's so intolerant that they hurt people. If I'm dealing with someone or a group of people that I believe pose a threat to national security. You know, if I'm dealing with a person or a group of people whose cultural practices just go against everything I believe and things that I don't want to see in, in our community. If I'm dealing with, you know, a political party that I believe, you know, members of or leaders of generally are robbing taxpayers of their hard-earned money or generally, you know, oppressing the poor. All of a sudden, darkness sets in. And what happens is, even though I know love should be my default, through the darkness, love gets bumped down on the list. It gets lower. Sometimes it even falls off the list altogether. Now, the people I'm talking about are the people I think God, Jesus, was talking about. When in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about your enemy. Now, we don't, we don't use that word very often. I think, though, these are the people Jesus was talking about. In Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you. That the real test of seeing as loving isn't loving people that are easy to love. It's the people that are hard to love. And I, I feel like we need to do a, just a bit of a time out now. And this is specifically for people who call themselves Christians. I don't think that we do well at this. And maybe it's because, you know, we're coming out of an election campaign that for, in my opinion, was quite negative. But how I've seen Christians have conversations and identify and, and carry on outside of church on Sunday, I can't say that love is always the first thing that comes to mind. How people can talk about, you know, whether they feel people should be able to cover their faces or not. Whether, you know, a, a political party is, is just or unjust. Whether, you know, people should be in or out of our country. If you look at how they express that to other people, how they communicate on Facebook, how they feel it's okay to represent themselves, I don't believe love is what screams out from our actions, from our interactions. And I, I, just, I just have to say, I think we need to do better than that. 
And it's, it's not that I, I feel an opposition that might be forming with folks is saying, well, I don't want to enable bad behavior and I, I don't want to condone things that aren't okay and I, I don't want to turn a blind eye to something that you know, I'm responsible to stand up to and I want to be crystal clear. That's not what I'm talking about. Love isn't naively ignoring our times of being cruel with each other. It's the capacity to see people as more than their shortcomings. It's, it's living in the tension, choosing to live in the tension between justice and mercy. So on one hand, it's always holding on to justice, but it's never doing that without also holding on to mercy. I mean, if I was going to give you an example of a bully, if you're encountering bullying, love is certainly stopping the bullying, and it's always seeing the bully for more than just a bully. And Jesus was a great example of this. Jesus didn't wait for people to do what he wanted them to do, or he didn't wait for people to be, you know, um, on his side to love them. In fact, the total opposite. Literally, at the end of Jesus' lives, when people are hammering nails into his hand and piercing his side, what is his knee-jerk response? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is important. I mean, Jesus talks in, in John 13, 35, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus is saying, you know what? At the end of the day, it's not going to be about where you went to church or the shelter you were a part of or what you stood for or what you stood against. At the end of the day, it'll come down to one thing. Did you love people? In 1 Corinthians, this is expanded on 13. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but a creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and I have faith that can say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, even go to the stake and be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, then I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, and no matter what I do, I am bankrupt without love. I'll share with you the time that this became, I guess, most real for me. It was a number of years ago. I was involved in our shelter outreach. I was specifically linked to a a man. His name was Wayne. He was um, spending, his whole life was pretty much street involved. He'd spent a lot of life in the streets, really um, fighting a crippling addiction. And I was linked to Wayne. I was helping him out with his finances. I was his trustee. I was working with some others to help secure some housing for Wayne and and help him with some employment. And things were going well for a while. And then all of a sudden, and the language I would have used back then, was Wayne made the decision to kind of throw all that away. You know, Wayne made a series of decisions that, you know, kind of put his life on a 180 and, 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 and kind of threw all the work that had been done kind of by the wayside. And I was so angry. I was so just frustrated. I, I, I was so frustrated that he would do that for himself and even for all of us that have been working so hard. And one evening I was talking to my friend John and I was kind of venting about, you know, I don't know how this person could do this. I was using language like, you know what, I'm done. And my friend John, in love, asked me a few questions. He said, Tim, can you think of a situation in your life where you know what you should do. You know that there's things in your life that would be a good thing for you to do, and yet repeatedly you don't do it. And I, I said, 
yeah, I can think of lots of decisions. For whatever reason, I thought about, you know, I'm always saying I'm going to eat more healthy and I'm going to do more exercise because I know that, you know, I'm responsible to take care of myself and I want to be someone who can play sports with my grandkids. So, yeah, and, and yeah, I just don't do that. And I thought of, you know, ways that I wanted to be a better friend and, and things that I said I was going to do, but I just don't do it. So I talked about these and he said, hey, Tim, here's the thing. In those moments when you know what you should do, but you don't do them, how do you think God feels about you? And I, I said, I, I, my guess is that God wants the best for me, but I don't think he feels differently about me. He loves me no matter what. And John said, how hard would it be for you to be to Wayne what God is to you? How hard would it be for you to look beyond what he's doing and just love him no matter what? And as, as simple as that sounds, it's like someone had hit me between the eyes with a two by four because I realized in that moment a few things. One, I realized that I was no different than Wayne. Even though on paper, you know, it may look that we're very different, no different at all. We both know what we should do and we both don't always meet the mark. But what was different was I had a lot more opportunity in my life. I had no excuse or a lot fewer excuses. And the other thing I realized is right now, in, in, in biblical terms, who I was, the character of the Bible that I was, was called a Pharisee. I was someone that was generally, I, I could talk the talk, but I didn't walk the walk. I was the person that was taking the woman caught in adultery and bringing her before Jesus saying, you know, we want justice here. That's who I was. And I didn't like that reflection in the mirror. And, and that experience, that time for me was a bit of a turning point. It was a time when before God I said, I don't want to be that person. I, I want to be someone who defaults to love, who somehow is able to, to see what you see in people. And no matter what, I won't lose compassion for other people. And it's been a journey. I can say honestly that I feel like to be that person, I still have 100 miles to go. I feel like in some ways I'm still just getting over the start line. But I'll tell you this. The biggest surprise for me throughout this experience is once you turn and say, I am going to be someone who sees and loves. I want to, through God's grace and God's strength, default to love. You would never, ever go back. Once you start to look at individuals that you used to write off or eye roll, and you can start to ask God to allow you to see what he sees, what you realize is that the lights literally come on. That somehow you're starting to see in people this, this beautiful thing and, and you're starting to realize that the gift isn't something you're giving to them. It's a gift God's giving to me. That literally, I've been given the gift of sight. And, and you just can't imagine ever going back. You feel like you were blind and now you see. I feel like um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu said that if I diminish you, I diminish myself. We realize that by asking to fully see people, we're literally being healed. And I've been paying more attention to people. I don't know if you know folks like this in your life, but in my life, there's like five or six people and the only word I can use to describe them is light. That's it. Because whenever I interact with these people, it's, they leave the room and I'm like, it's just like they brought light with them. Every time. And I've paid attention to these people. And I've realized that what I think is unique about these people is that they are people who see and love. They are people who, no matter what the circumstances, they always default to care and compassion and to love. In spite of lifestyle differences, theological differences, politics, security, the light comes from just loving. And I want to be more of that kind of a person. 
I've been thinking lately, can you imagine if every one of our church members of the Southridge community in all different locations, we were all those people that just could only be described by light. Can you imagine the impact that would have in this community? So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how this message would would relate to you. You might be one of those people who literally is described as light. And if you are, have patience with the rest of us, literally. And if you're, if you're not, if you're someone like me where you know seeing as loving is far from how you could always be described, I'd ask a few things of you this morning. I guess, first of all, would you be open to taking an eye exam? Would you be open to, before God, just checking in with how often do I see and love? Who am I missing? You know, how clearly do I see? How fully do I see? And, and maybe it's something that you could spend time asking some friends about, getting some feedback. We're going to spend time here for three weeks, so just be open over the next month for a bit of an eye exam, so to speak. And if you're like me, be open to being in a place of repentance. You know, the Bible uses the word repentance, and all that really means is to turn the other way. Like when my discussion resulted, you know, with my friend John, I ended saying, I don't want to be that way. And before God, and only through God's strength, I want to turn the other way. And to be repenting, for me, sometimes happens multiple times a day. I realize over and over again, I want to turn the other way. To have the courage to say, God, I, I want to be someone who sees and loves. I want to be someone that I know truly loves my enemy. I want to be a person that, that always doesn't just focus on the tip of the iceberg, but sees what you see. And I want to be known by my love. That's certainly the prayer I have for myself. It's the prayer I have for our church community this morning. So let's pray together. God, this is a hard message to deliver because I feel like I'm just at the start gate myself. But God, I feel like there's probably so many people that like me want to live differently, want to live a life that is marked and noted by love and nothing else. And God, my prayer is that you would do that in each of us, that you would show us even where we need to do work through you and you, God, would do miraculous work in each of us so that, so that we truly would be people who see, see fully, see clearly, And God, that we're people that are known by our love. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.